the stack world to me is an absolute must-have for young women today to be able to step into their power I deeply care about it. To me, it's my life's work. It's not like I'm waiting to do this and sell it so I can start my next business. I will do other things, but this is the thing for me that is my like gift to trying to move the needle on gender equity globally. Hello, everybody. This is What's Next podcast with you, Mindy Francis, reporting from London. We're so excited to have one of our guests here, Charmadine Reed. Yay! <laughs> Charmadine Reed, MBE, is a founder and CEO of The Stack World. While studying at Central St. Martins, Charmadine founded the award-winning WAH Nails, which completely changed the beauty landscape with its innovative salon space. After over a decade of meeting thousands of women all over the world, she launched The Stack World, a platform to power women's networks and communities. Her mission is gender equity through community, providing content for businesses who want to keep their female employees engaged. Her work supporting women earned Charmadine the Vogue Clicquot Bold Future Award in 2021. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Charmadine Reed to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. How's everything going? It's going really good, really busy. It's like... Summertime for me is when I really get my head down in deep work where everyone else is vacationing. Interesting. I'm like really working. <laughs> so yeah, it's a busy time. That's great. That's great. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you have something right after this <laughs> to sit and speak with us. I Everyone uh, in London and across the pond is so interested, interested in our stories and you have an excellent one to share. So WH Nails, Stack Whirl, and Vove Clico Bold Future Award in 2021 are some of the accolades under your belt. These are things that Charmadine Reed has done. You've been doing the work for a long time. Please tell us, how did you get here? Where are you currently today? Take us back to the beginning. What's your story? <laughs> um, how far do you want to go back? Well, I'm from Wolverhampton, a small town in the UK. I am Jamaican, Jamaican Indian. And I moved to London when I was 19 to study fashion communication at Central St. Martins. I always knew what I wanted to do. I was obsessed with media and magazines and TV from like age five. I was glued to the cable TV. So I knew I wanted to be in the city, in the midst of things. And when I was at Central St. Martins, I was working the whole way through my degree um, for fashion magazines at the time. So yeah, it's been a semi-predictive journey, but with a lot of twists and turns in it. I was always like an avid planner. Um, but yeah, it's it's been quite interesting. Keep going. <laughs> so I was at Central St. Martins. And when I got there, I actually found that it was a little bit too easy uh, because I'd been so hyper preparing myself. I think I was over-prepared. How were you hyper-preparing yourself? From age 12, I was reading all the magazines cover to cover and I and I was always interested in the business behind fashion. Yeah, okay. so I would read about which fashion houses owned what, what photographers worked with. At 12 style. years old? Yeah, at 12 I started reading Sugar and then Elle and then Vogue and then The Face and ID and Dazed and Confused and then music magazines like Select. I was just hungry for information. So if there was a I magazine or a newspaper, I was reading it. Got it. Um, I just consumed a lot of information. information. Also, you got to remember my small town, very, not a lot of things to do. And pre-internet, you finish school at 3.30. That's a whole nother day. Right. To do stuff. <laughs> so yeah, me and my best friend, who I still know today from when we were three years old, I used to cycle over to his house and he had a computer, like the first computer in the house. And um, we used to like, you know, practice on Microsoft Word, doing like a newspaper cover. And we'd go to all these graphic design shows as kids, we were total nerds. And yeah, I just loved publishing, I guess, mm -hmm. like reading and making. Right. So what were you studying at Central St. Martin specifically? So I studied fashion communication with a cultural studies honours and I 
really love education. I love being at school. I love learning. I love the discipline. Um, the best skill that I learned at Central St. Martin was, was really fast writing. My lecturer, who was Alexandra Shawman's mom, Drusilla Bafus, um, she used to come in and she would say, right, you've got 30 minutes to write 500 words on. And she'd give you three random current topics. So it might be this designer's latest collection, this art exhibition, this pop star's concert. And you'd have to, A, be up to date on the... So you'd have to know no. about it. Mm -hmm. And B, you'd have to have a voice and opinion on it. And you'd have to write it from your head onto the paper. No Googling, no chat GPT, no nothing. And then once everyone finished writing quietly, you'd have to read it out. Wow. And, and then everyone would be listening to it. So you also get used to this process of criticism and feedback, which I think is something that art school develops in you to the nth degree. Right. How do you get used to showing your work before it's perfect, taking feedback, helping others shape and define what you are creating. I think that's important, just a skill set to learn. And then she'd send you home and you could choose another three ideas and then you'd have to write it, come back, read it out again. So I can now write very fast. I'm sure. <laughs> and I have this thing which I actually read in Robert Caro's book, Working, which is like always turn the page. I am the type of person who, if I'm reading something and I want to skip a page, I think, mm, but there could be something on that page that I know and then I don't know it, so I better read it. So yeah, it makes me try and stay as up to date on what's happening culturally as much as possible. Okay, so let's go back to something you said a little while ago. Mm. You said something uh, that when you were at Central St. Martin's, you felt it wasn't moving fast enough for you. Mm. So what did you do then or yeah. what so are your thoughts on that? The class was really small, right? Like 20, we started off with like maybe 21 people and I think 13 of us graduated. I was not used to having such few hours of the day of studying because I went to an extremely technology-driven hyper-academic school where I would have to wake up at 6am, get the bus to school which was in two, the next town and I was at my desk from age 11 from 8.30am till 4.30pm. And this was in the in the In UK? Shropshire, yeah. Okay. So In the UK? In the UK. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine I'm 11 and I'm basically working at adult day, 8.30 till 4.30. So I'd had this stamina for work from such a young age that when I got to college and you had like one hour of lecture a day, if that, that was so strange to me. <laughs> I was like, I got too much time. So but doesn't it open you up to hours for creativity? Oh, yeah. One of the things I did was spend so much time in the library just browsing through every magazine and photocopying the things that I liked. So if I, I would just browse through old copies of Life magazine, Vogue, all these other, you know, international Vogues, which I didn't have access to before. And I was just browsing and seeing what I liked. I guess it was the earliest example of like pinning or saving because yeah. I would just put a little sticky note on the page and then at the end of each um, like magazine section, I would go to the photocopy machine and photocopy the pictures I liked and then I'd make these scrapbooks out of them just and for myself. And now we have Pinterest. And now we've got Pinterest. <laughs> but it's not the same. All right. And I always say this about the internet. I think that my biggest concern about AI is not the potential and power of creation I think any tools which help people be more creative is exceptional I think it's the limited amount of information so for example chat GPT is not going to know about a 1964 interview with Sophia Loren on you know Italian movies on the body so like that bit of cultural knowledge just isn't going to be included in future thinking amount of creativity does that make sense what i'm saying to you so what is in some things are missed yeah i think a lot though yeah. a lot i think the explosion of social media really is 2009 onwards and i remember it because i was part of that wave so the iphone only came out 2007 you had tumblr then you had instagram in 2010 
and then data, you know, Facebook obviously in between, and then the amount of data that we have online of pictures, text, exploded. Think about the amount of history we have and culture before 2009. So it's like, how do you help young people today see a through line when they see a hairstyle or hear a song or watch a movie to know the origins of where that might have come from. I I do think that is quite important because it's almost like if we're in the present here and you know the past, like how can you remix it for the future and make it the next thing and the next thing and the next thing as opposed to just a photocopy of that static point from 2009. So anyway, I digress. I In a good way. (laughs) I spent a lot of time just consuming in the same way I had before, but also cataloging. And the cataloging was quite important to me. I also worked with Nicola Formichetti and Kim Jones the whole way through my degree. That was my next question. Mm -hmm. You've worked with so many phenomenal designers during your time there. So this was while at Central St. Martin's. Mm. Tell me about that experience and how it um, influenced where you went next and where you are today. So I was very lucky in that I only really worked for those two, Kim and Nicola, and also Joanne Furness, who was the ed- editor of Rena Homplus, who Nicola had introduced me to. And then I started my business. So I, I assisted the best, basically. And I was really um, focused on assisting the best. I knew Nicola's work from looking at the credits of magazines. I thought what he was doing was exceptional and groundbreaking. It was very early in mixing high fashion with skatewear, which is now mainstream. Streetwear today is normal. Back then it wasn't a normal thing. It was a very tiny subculture that only a few people understood and he was one of them. Kim was the same. And what both of them really taught me was how to mix commercial uh, growth with creativity because they were never poor. Right. <laughs> they they always made money from their creative freedom. And I thought that was a really special place to be. How can you be purposeful and profitable is still a question that I always ask myself today. How do you, you know, allow spiritual growth as well as financial growth? These are like, you know, it's important for me to be able to balance the two. So both Nicola and Kim had incredible clients from day one that they would have me assist on. And in what capacity did you support them? So I would be a fashion assistant, stylist assistant. Yes. And then I graduated 2007 and started working straight away for Nike. The first job I did for them was styling in Milan, about 25 incredible people from all over the world. And I just thought, I can't believe this is my job. And I get paid <laughs> to do this. You know, I grew up, you know, it's, I never felt like we were poor, but we didn't have much money. And it just felt like a different world to be paid for what I love doing yes. and paid quite a lot of money. I was like, whoa. So, yeah, then I graduated, started traveling around the world and just saw this opportunity to open a nail salon. Um in LA, there was a nail salon culture. And in Asia, there was a nail art culture. And I was thinking there's nothing like this in London. And if you think about 2008, 2009, such a turning point in history, actually, in culture, there was no flat white. There's no coffee shops. There was no, um, like, you know, Soho House had four locations, just right. <laughs> to put it into context. It was very, very underdeveloped in terms of creativity and culture being globalized, Mm -hmm. you know? So I had this idea for a nail salon, opened it, and it just took off. And what was that like? It was a pretty crazy time because I always wanted to be a creative, not an entrepreneur. I had no real plans to be a business owner. I just knew that I would be a leader, independent, um, but I didn't have this grand design that I was going to start this business or anything. Did you feel you had the business acumen to move that business forward? 
It's interesting because I studied business from age 11, three hours a week from age 11. And, but I never thought of myself as having business acumen. I just thought, well, I know these terms sort of, and I still don't think of myself in that way. What I think of myself as is an amazing starter. I'm a founder. I'm really good at having ideas, kicking them off building a really good team to kick those ideas off. I love working collaboratively. I love having a task force. Like I love having a task force of eight people to get something up and running to prove it, prove that that thing can exist. But then when it comes to the scaling of it, it's more, it then becomes more business. And I find that bit less fun. (laughs) So when it becomes less fun, what in this particular category, what did you do? What have you done? So with the nail salon, there was always this pressure to scale it. I loved having my nails done and that's why I opened a shop. Let's be real. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get my nails done for free every week. I didn't think that I'd be doing the rotor till midnight on a Sunday night, payroll, pensions, being everyone's therapist. How big was the team? So at the height of it, we probably had about 20 people. That's quite a bit. Um, Yeah, it was actually quite a lot. And it was really overwhelming. And if I'm honest, after about six months, I wasn't even sure I wanted to do it anymore. But the reception was so incredible that I felt this pressure. And bear in mind, I'm like 25, 26 and I just had a baby as well. The Everyone loved it. Everyone still talks to me about it. They were like, I remember going in. When da, 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 and it's so wonderful to hear. But I never, I always think of um, these things as various experiments that I'm executing on. And it was a really fun thing in my 20s yeah. that I did. I loved it. And I think I know it changed a lot of people's lives. And that's the thing that will be the legacy of it. It showed other women that a 20-something black girl from Wolverhampton can open a shop and run a business and it'd be really relevant. I think it showed um, businesses and brands in particular that there was this audience of women, young women, who were part fashion, part street, who actually had a lot of disposable income and not as much choice right and what i mean by that is i don't see my culture reflected in tv businesses you know magazines as much as other cultures are you know when i think of populist tv it it feeds the the masses But when I think of my life and my friends and my world, it's very, very rarely represented. So I think that it showed companies that actually there was this subculture that was bubbling up, that was entering the mainstream of nail art. And actually it could be mainstream because nails wasn't a thing that people did regularly as a creative expression, you know. And now it's... And now it's normal. Yeah. It's more, it's more about making it normal. Like you wouldn't be surprised. I I remember seeing like nail art in an advert advert for an insurance company and thinking, wow, that's something because 10 years ago, before I opened my nail salon, you'd have to have natural looking nails. You'd Mm -hmm. never have nail art in an ad campaign. Yeah. (laughs) So it's that legacy of changing what is the norm, right. which I think was really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm here. F- I'm here for it as girl with claws always or change it up. Yeah. But what I really love about what you just shared is your clarity in in business as to who you are and what you need for a team. And that's so important for entrepreneurs and founders to realize just understanding what your strengths are and how to manipulate that Mm -hmm. and how to build a team and what um, makes you whole, you know, in terms of growth. So I know that, you know, I have here that back in 2005, you interviewed women in hip hop using your Mac mini 
that going back to your, you know, editorial roots, why did you do that? What was that about? So when I moved to London in 2003, I was going to a lot of hip hop clubs and there would there was hardly any women and hip hop wasn't um, the dominant music at the time. In 2003 to 2000, and, let's say seven, the dominant, and when I say dominant, I mean like the chart music was indie. It was like a lot of like white male band music, you know? There wasn't Drake, Rihanna, you know, on the pop charts. It was, if you listen to Jay-Z, it was a fringe, you know, on right. the edge of culture. So for me, I'd be going to these hip hop raves and these grime raves and there wasn't many women there. And as a young woman, 19, 20, 21, I was trying to find my place in the world and what my identity was. And I was trying on lots of different identities. And I felt this huge pressure from the visuals of hip hop to have an identity that was hypersexualized because all of the music videos at the time were very naked women. And the women were not centered, they were accessories. They were in the background. By the way, these videos are great and I love them. <laughs> but I wasn't sure how that's what how I wanted to show up in the world. You know, like I love Hype Williams videos. Oh my goodness. I love yeah, love them all. So I was thinking, what would it look like if I made a hip hop magazine that showcased all of the women in hip hop who were contributing to the culture and at the center of the culture rather than in the background. So I wanted to learn also how to use the computer programs and I needed a project to do so. I think you learn better through a project. So I got a copy of Adobe InDesign and I taught myself how to use the program and to use it I needed the content so I would go out and interview take photos learn how to make fonts and write and it was really cool it was two months every day after school um making this magazine and the cover was a DJ called Sarah Love she was on the cover and then I had a flip cover with a Nottingham rapper as well she was amazing and I went to Nottingham took a photo Wait, I can't even remember if I took a photo. Maybe somebody else did. I had a few conspirators with me. <laughs> but it was just an amazing time. And it was really fun to just make something from start to finish. I would tell everybody, I'm making this magazine about women in hip hop. Do you want to be part of it? And then eventually a brand got wind that I was making it. And they were like, we will pay for the printing. And I was like, fantastic news. I was 20, I would have been 22 maybe. And Echo Unlimited sponsored it. Wow. Which is mad, right? Major. <laughs> <laughs> At the time. At the time. But so aligned with what that brand represents. Yeah, and they didn't have a huge UK presence. So I guess, you know, now that I'm older and I understand how marketing works, it was like a good way to get some UK presence there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... We made this whole thing and then, you know, 10,000 copies were printed and then they were all pulled because they had a nipple. They oh. had some nipples in the magazine. So then I had all of these copies in my house and I just had to start giving them out for free on the street. And that's how I started to build my community because I would walk up to a girl on the street and I would say, I think you'll like this. Do you want to <laughs> read it? And then they'd take it because we weren't in this era of saturation. And then I started a blog for it. And then eventually I was like, when it came to the nail salon, I thought the nail salon will be a cool way to bring all of these women together who aren't represented, their culture is not represented. And by that, I mean, you know, you wanna wear Supreme, but you wanna wear Prada, you wanna get your nails done, but you wanna have a blow dry, like all of these different elements. Dichotomies, yeah. Yeah, and also very educated, you know, a lot of my friends then and today were studying masters. They were, I met an amazing staff member the other day who is writing her PhD on black women in the fashion industry. And I love this energy of, we are, real purveyors of culture and academia but we also like to get our nails done you know yeah so 
that really is how all of these things like merge together. And then War Magazine became War Nails and it just carried on until I wanted to do something different. I hear you. So pre-pandemic, you became frustrated with the lack of technological solutions and beauty booking software. You then partnered with Daniel Woodbury and Ken Lalabo, and the three of you founded Beauty Stack in 2017. Tell us about this venture and why it was so important to you. So with the nail salon, we were taking a lot of photographs of nails. I bought a new iPhone specifically to take photos of nails because prior to that I had a Blackberry and I was taking Blackberry. Blue. I loved my Blackberry. Loved it my was Blackberry. a painful, painful separation. Yeah, same. <laughs> I was thinking about getting getting it back to be honest. I thought about, I I thought about that too. <laughs> so research in motion, we see you. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um so I bought a new iPhone. I was taking photographs of the nails every single day. Back then there weren't now pictures online. You'd have a static website, like a Yellow Pages style website. This is the nail salon. These are the opening hours. I actually built our website on Tumblr using just tweaking the HTML. And I thought, I don't want to have a website for the nail salon because this website would need to be ever evolving. Yes, We were uploading 20, 30 pictures a day onto our website when a normal portfolio, even today, if you have a website for a shop, you wouldn't have this constant updated portfolio. So we just pulled in Tumblr and we put our pictures out there and the pictures just kept getting reblogged and reblogged millions of times. So then I thought, and then people were screenshotting the pictures and saying, how much is this? How long does it take? And I was like, it'd be really cool if you could just click a picture and book a picture. So coupled with, you know, venture capital became a phrase in my lexicon and I had to learn about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs were becoming rock stars and I thought I can do this yeah (laughs) so I set about creating a pitch deck and raising some money for this software and eventually Dan Ken and I got a little room um in the bottom of the Facebook office at the time, actually, and just started building. And we were building a visual booking system, which was completely innovative and still doesn't really exist. I'm not sure if anyone's built it. The idea that you click a picture of a nail and you book it with the exact person who did it, you know, the price, you know what it is. And I was really excited by it. And, you know, starting a startup is very challenging but it's so much fun. It's almost like being back at university again because it's very hacky, very collaborative. Um, And what startup culture has given us in the positive is many, many frameworks of how to build a business. So, you know, you have things like the lean startup, you know, you have all of these processes of building that accelerators have defined, like Y Combinator have defined, you know, get it up and out in three months. And I think that culture has been incredible for entrepreneurship, just to have the tools to be like, I've got this idea. How do I make it live? How do I launch it? So yeah, that was a really great time. When the pandemic hit, we were about to launch open access because in the first six months, I think we just had a, a beta group of 20 beauty pros that were using it early days going well. And then we couldn't operate because of you couldn't book beauty. And it was a real stressful time because not only were we not able to operate when other businesses could, it was my first macro global business impact thing happened to me. You know, if you're a seasoned business owner, you've probably been through two or three cycles of downturns, of war, of all this stuff happening. And for me, it was the first time. And for others out there, for millions of businesses, it's the first time that something outside of your control happened. Happened, And as I'm sure you've gathered now from what I told you about my life, I knew everything that was happening in my life (laughs) from a young age. So it was this real shock that I, I didn't have the power to 
ensure that this thing was going to be able to be used. There are definitely things now in hindsight I could have done, but in the moment of it, I would say that I was just in pure trauma and survival mode. Yes. On top of that, when George Floyd was murdered, half my team are people of color. You know, it was, we didn't work as a team, I would say, for about six weeks after that. It was a real tough, challenging time for me as a leader, but also for my team. Because unlike other leaders in the startup world, because there aren't that many black people running tech companies, and definitely not many women and women of color running tech companies, I had to be the um, support as well as also being someone who was grieving myself, you know? there, yes. So it was really, (laughs) it was a really, um, yeah, it was a horrible time. Yeah. And then- Having to wake up in the morning and be the cheerleader for everyone when you're, yeah. When you're also suffering too. Mm -hmm. And I think what, the period of the pandemic allowed me to do is build more empathy as a leader. Up until then, I'd been very dominant, aggressive, growth, growth, growth. And then you started to realize humanity and how we're all vulnerable and how everybody has their life happening outside of the workplace, which you can now see because you yeah. can see it with your own eyes. Um but it was really tough. But at the end of the year, you know, and my grandmother passed away. She was like the matriarch of our family. So at the end of the year, I was like, look, we're going to have to do something because otherwise we will die. And that's when I thought of the stack world. And here we go with the stack world. (laughs) Tell us about the stack world. So with the stack world, what I noticed during the pandemic is that my beauty pros and their clients were coming to us as a source of truth, source of information and inspiration and community. They were joining Zooms like everybody. We did hundreds of Zooms, how to diversify your income, how to stay mentally fit, all of these different things. And I thought this is really interesting because I am of a generation the millennial generation where people often say we were told we could have everything and we don't really have that much in terms of wealth ownership with women in particular there is this extreme jump from lifestyle and women's magazines to now financial journalism and business journalism as in you know i could ask a room of a hundred women do you know what a balayage is lash extensions they'll know But if I say to them, what's the base rate or explain inflation, it might be harder for them to articulate exactly what that is and how it affects them. And I feel like that is because like most industries, jargon is a way of protecting information and Mm. keeping certain people out. Yep. Um, You know, I think if you weren't born with that language around the kitchen table, so you don't even hear it peripherally, It can seem like a foreign language. And what I noticed in my entrepreneur journey is that there are a lot of young women who are saying to me, you make it sound much easier and less scarier than when I go to a more formal uh, source for how to start a business or something. So with the stack, I started to think, could we be this bridge for young women between lifestyle content that, you know, women's media is full of lifestyle content, fashion celebrity runway beauty and a more entrepreneur business financial content and a particularly politics because obviously that's what everyone was really thinking about at the time I think people listened to more news during those years a combination of what was happening in America with COVID people were more plugged into the news so then I just started kind of experimenting and brainstorming with what that might look like Um, a women's media company that was that bridge. And then that's when I came back to the team in January and I said, okay, this is what we're working on now. Is that all right? And they were like, okay, fine. Um, But it also came because that is my love with some cool tech innovation. I was thinking about how media brands really want to be communities. 
have communities or talk about having a community when in reality what they have is readers or traffic right they have traffic so i was like right i'm going to do this but i'm going to go community first and then everything else second because when i grow the community and i prove out this community model i can flip it and i can bring the media back to the top right and so how what, do you do that how so did you what build that looked like was normally to get someone to subscribe to your media platform you're telling them about all the amazing content they get they get this newsletter they get premium content da, da, da. i was like if you subscribe you become part of our community and the community is events and it's networking and you can have a profile and people can message you and all of these kind of social networky features first so the way that looked is we would do an interview with an incredible women leader. We would have that as an editorial piece and schedule two weeks later a ask me anything for members only. That's what converted people to subscribe. And we also had this as a seamless one-click experience. So you're not clicking on the publication and having to go to Eventbrite or a different right platform it was all embedded in to our we had a custom cms with the event with videos with profiles everything's embedded in in one and you were able to do this seamlessly because you had the company that the tech company that you were working on before so you had the technology the know-how the team essentially in place precisely but also as well i had a team that trusted me because We'd gone from building booking to building a content manager. We actually already had a content management system because we had this blog embedded within our booking platform. Um, and that was always a game part of my thesis was, can you create um, bookings through content? So can I write an article about a new trend in hair or nails or lashes, embed the pros in the article and rather than send them off for affiliate links, we actually, they're on our marketplace. Keep everything Yeah, I'm quite obsessed with like end-to-end -end ownership, actually. I, it sounds that way, but it's genius. It's, it's like... And the wave of the future. Yeah, because I was thinking, if I'm reading my favorite newspaper, I don't want to then have to go to Eventbrite. That's right. weird. And also, they know nothing about me. Right. So they're missing out on this important data. Whereas if anyone RSVPs, I have 24 data points on their profile. I know everything they've RSVP to, what they've been reading, what communities they're part of, because we have 600 communities in our app now. 600 communities in your app. Yeah. So it's really cool because you would, um, I'll give you an example that we had last week. So Appleton Run wanted to do an event with us. So we write an article then uh, in Club Jamaica, we embed the event. We put the event in the article. If you are SVP to the event, you're automatically placed in the communities. So the communities are growing like that. And then we recorded it in video. And then we also built a video on demand platform in the app. So you can watch hundreds of videos of past events, of lectures, workshops, etc. So yeah, it's a full stack um, content community Platform. I think this is genius because Me I too, think, to be honest. you know, go, of course it's your baby, <laughs> but um, going forward, I just think that no matter what your brand is, or if you have a brand, if you are a brand, a personal brand, creating content 24 seven is kind of what you're going to have to do to move your business forward mm. and, and have a touch point for the quote unquote community that you're building and to just hear you articulate the need and importance of this end to end. Um, um, strategy is fantastic. Whereas you're utilizing, um, you know, Meta or TikTok for growth or LinkedIn, but it's really important to own your community and own your network and own your subscribers so that you have those data points so that you're able to continue to speak to them and communicate to them. Exactly. And I think I've not been as hot on the growth elements using other social media platforms. And that's partially by design because I was so early on Instagram and I remember the distinct algorithm shift that meant that our growth flatlined. Yeah. And I remember being thinking, oh, wow, we're all living on rented platforms. I am now in a precarious position where my business cannot grow because my channels can't grow and they can't grow because I'm not paying them ad money. We spend nothing on ads, nothing. 
the way that we grow is through word of mouth and the content that we create and a lot of found or di- you know direct search. I'm going to now think about our growth channels as I have perfected this ecosystem because we didn't have that ecosystem before, you know. And the last, the final piece for us is our video on demand platforms launching this summer in proper because you can watch videos in the app now, but you can't really search them properly. And that's really exciting. And I want to make more elite exclusive content on this video on demand platform that enables us to truly speak to our um, members in a way, in a language that is part of that, as I said, like business language, but also the language and the culture that they understand, even the visuals, just to make like uh, a cooler corporate training video on how to prepare for a performance review that isn't boring. And right. You know what I mean? Right. So what's really exciting is that brands have really recognized the value of our brand and style of doing things. So our community is still quite small. It's 15,000 women around the globe now. We've got That's women impressive. in it. It's still small. That was my question. Like when it's a million, you, you know, like <laughs> it's 50, small. Yeah, but 15,000 on my app is small, but it's good because I know them very, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm so intimately connected to my community. They tell me everything. And what's the reach? I don't know. Like the No, social. you just mentioned, no, I'm talking about like, is it just UK? Women? Oh no, it's 32 countries. But in That's terms of all of our channel reach, yeah. we don't really look at that as much now because I'm still in experimentation phase. The business is just, just over two years old mm-hmm. and it had to be thought up in six weeks. So it's not like I was thinking about it for 10 right. years before. So the next steps for me now are how do we create IP that we can use as an example uh of this entire journey end to end as I said. So it's like about having content like this, about having interviews and, you know, more high quality production on things, about having masterclasses for women that then we sell to, you know, we package up as corporate learning and training and development. And also we have an amazing, amazing summit that's our third year running that I think is just... When is the summit? October the 6th, 2023. Amazing. We do it in the countryside. It's really curated and it's participatory. So we do a lot of roundtables. We think our members are just as interesting as our panelists and speakers. So they should have a chance to connect with each other and discuss topics on housing crisis, on you know, intergenerational wealth. These are the things I want to talk about that they don't really have space to talk about. And then next year we're launching a quarterly B2B magazine. Um, So all of the content we make, we do in a women's leadership magazine and sell that to businesses as well. Super interesting. I've been developing brands in consumer brands in all different categories for so many years. And um, one of you know, at the top of the list of the things that I do is help brands figure out consumer acquisition. Mm. And so everything that you're saying to me is truly a masterclass in doing things right. I just want people to know that um, this one formula of buying, it's helpful for certain brands, Mm. buying ads and moving, you know, your growth in that capacity. But this other traditional sense of doing things, not traditional sense, this other way that you, this approach that you have focused on in terms of intimately knowing your 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 consumer base or your um you know your your members is is really wonderful. So another question um go ahead you're going to say I was just going to say it's challenging because it's much slower. That was my question. It's really slow. My question yeah, was ahead. are things because again that's why I prefaced it by mm. saying I know this intimately. Your things in your head, are things moving as fast as you'd like mm. or as fast as you feel you like? Or do you feel like this weight of, because you see it, you know how it can be done. So I want you to speak to that because I know there's a lot of people out there that are experiencing that, especially when you're so quick in terms of innovation, as I can tell you are. Thank you. That's very kind. It's true. Um, <laughs> so I feel that we are moving as fast as we can because the way that we release product is lightning fast. I have such a small dedicated engineering team 
and we have ideas to like live in like six to eight weeks we recently launched the new a new app in march and even now i can't believe that we built that with such a small team and all of the different features we've built you know payment infrastructure communities profiles messaging the video on demand everything um yeah i'm really proud of them i think that for me it's really important that i know what it is that i'm growing right and i think that i didn't really know exactly what the value proposition was and why people joined i knew people were joining because they've been joining right and but i didn't really know why they were joining exactly and how i could take that and grow the thing that was the value proposition what we hear now is that personal and professional development is really important and helping women get in their leadership position is really important. And when I say leadership, people immediately think in the workplace, oh, how do I get to the C-suite? But I'm talking about how to manage your home life, how to lead at church, how to lead at school, whatever it is that you might be leading doesn't really matter. It's more, do you have the confidence and the skill set to do so? And how can we create as much content around that? There's so much amazing inspirational content I feel with women, lots and lots of role models and leaders. What I really care about is actionable advice. So when I tell people People come to me with their problems all the time, my friends. And I'm like, right, you need to do this, 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 and this. <laughs> and I literally am laying it out when they're like, oh, how do I um, how do I get authority? This is one person at work keeps undermining my, my authority. How do I do? And then I tell them. So I think like this type of content, I feel that bridges the consumer to corporate like gap is really, really something that I think could be exploded even more. And it's solutions. We talk a lot about self-help and then into self-development. And I'm thinking it's solutions. Like how do you create strategies and solutions for women to get what they want, which is more money and more power? Brilliant. Love every minute. It's <laughs> slower. But I also, as I've gotten older, I'm going to be 40 next year. I know that the bigger impact you want to make and the legacy you want to make takes more foundational work, yes, you know? Yes, I agree. It just takes a little bit longer. And I always hold on to the incredible business people who started when they were 40 or 50. I don't feel this obsession with youth mm. is necessarily warranted. I think they're amazing. They, I'm still young. They. <laughs> you're on the cusp youth, of everything. The youth is great because you're willing to take more risks. It's so much fun when you got no partner, no baby, no nothing. To so be like, let me just try this. Let me sleep on some sofas and dedicate six months of my life to doing one thing that's not going to make me money. And that's how you get innovation. And that's really cool. But now as I get older, I think, let me be more intentional with what I'm doing. Let me really know what I want to pour money into. And yeah, maybe it is about spending loads on ads once you know what you're spending on. Right. I just think the first few years I was still processing a lot of trauma with COVID and with having to pivot my business. I was definitely still figuring out what that value proposition was. I'm very good at making it look like I know what I'm doing, even when I don't. But in my soul, I still need to process what it is. So sometimes I need my spirit to catch up with my idea, mm. you know, um, which is quite an interesting concept, actually. Like I trust my intuition that this should be the thing I'm doing, but then my rational brain is, but are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? And now I'm like, absolutely. The stack world to me is an absolute must have for young women today to be able to step into their power. I deeply care about it. To me, it's my life's work. It's not like I'm waiting to do this and sell it so I can start my next business. I will do other things, but this is the thing for me that is my like gift to trying to move the needle on gender equity globally. Phenomenal. Ladies and gentlemen, Charmadine Reed, MBE, rightfully so. <laughs> What's next for you? 
what's next is creating these core franchises that I mentioned to you over the next 12 months. We would love to work with a strategic partner on sitting underneath possibly a larger publishing company or a media company. As I mentioned before, I really love being on the ground founder mentality. I'd love to be within a larger organization. You know, I've never really had a job or had an employer. I'd like a boss, to be honest. I feel like I've got lots to learn. I know the feeling. And really, I care a lot about film, TV, video, and how we can do more storytelling, whether it's documentary or, you know, whether it's scripted around how young women are navigating the workplace today. Well, boy, I'm ready to open my Rolodex and connect some of my people because I see so much synergy here. This has been such a wonderful conversation. You are such a force. And I'm so proud of everything that you're building. So excited to watch your journey and, you know, just keep going. I know that so many people have been inspired by hearing your pivot after pivot and your journey overall. How can they follow you, find you? So at the stat.world for everything, but really you should download the app on the Android store in a few weeks. Oh my goodness, you Android people have been killing me waiting for this app. <laughs> and then also in the app store, of course. The app is really the place where you see me. You can message me on there and find me and see the whole community because it's not just about me. It's about this amazing network. Wonderful. Well, that's What's Next podcast with you, Mindy Francis. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at What's Next with You Mindy on Instagram and What's Next Podcast with You Mindy Francis on YouTube for bites. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thank you so much.